Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, we're returning to AWS reInvent in Las Vegas. Hear a session from enterprise strategist Phil LeBron and Luke Hennikins as they discuss how leaders reskill their entire organization from the CEO down. My name's Phil LeBron. I'm part of the enterprise strategy team. We're former CTO, CIO, CFOs who work with board of directors and C-suite to help advise on transformations. Uh, does anyone eat at McDonald's here? Oh, come on, it's not a social stigma. I was a former international CIO at McDonald's and used to lead their data development, supply chain, and innovation team until three years ago. My name is Luke Hennekens. Uh, welcome, everybody, to this session. I've been a CIO for Airbus for four years. And prior to that, I was CIO at Qantas based in Australia. So what we're here to talk to you about today is not a lot of technology. We spend an awful lot of time talking about digital transformations, data enablement. How do you use technology to change your business, your organization? And one of the things we continually hear is, I get that, but what about our people? How do we bring our people along on this journey? So what we want to do today is share some patterns we've seen to be successful in organizations, to reskill everyone in your organization. Not just your technology department, but from the CEO down to make them more versatile in technology. So how do we give people the skills and the confidence to continue to adapt in today's environment? Technology throughout history has improved productivity, it's improved wealth, it's improved health, it's improved education and living standards. There's something in this for everyone. We can bring an entire planet along on a new journey with us. It can make our own jobs less stressful and more fulfilling. But as technology creates opportunities, we need to be proactive in reskilling people to come on this journey with us. This opportunity is significant. We often talk about two things hold organizations back. People, the skills they have or don't have, and their imagination to dream of a different way of running their business. At least 75% of companies acknowledge that this skills gap is a major issue for them. And it's not just about developers. It's also about having leaders who know how to use technology, who know what else to do with technology, how to turn data, not just into insights, but to turn it into action on their front line too. And what we see with organizations is invariably in the top five issues they have, People feature in at least three of those. And it's a pattern that's actually been repeated throughout history. During the Industrial Revolution, technology outpaced skills in organizations. We saw wage stagnation, not that I was around at the time, but I'm told we saw wage stagnation. We saw generations of people who didn't have the skills to keep up with the technology. It's actually a phenomenon called Engels' pause. And it feels like we're going through something <coughs> similar today. We've got an amazing plethora of technology available to us in the cloud now, but we're having trouble making sure that people have the skills to keep up with it and really take advantage of it. And yeah, this pattern repeats itself. So applications of technology such as machine learning across every sector is automating jobs. In fact, it's predicted over the next 10 years about 85 million jobs will be eliminated through automation. And these 
These are jobs across every sector, from paralegal through to manufacturing. Another report shows that one billion people, one billion people, over the next 10 years will need to be reskilled. And there's a societal expectation that we all invest in our people and we help them be successful. So there's this massive opportunity to improve everyone's life with the technology we have. Now, it's easy to make excuses about why this gap exists. It's easy to make excuses why folks aren't investing in training. You've all heard of the Great Resignation. Who's, do you feel that's affecting your organization? One of the things I find fascinating is the average tenure of employees across different age groups hasn't actually shifted much over the past 10, 20 years. But there is a fundamental change we see, which is the half-life of skills, the useful life of skills since the 1960s has dropped by one quarter. So a skill that you could have learned at school in the 1960s that would have lasted you for most of your career will now last about five years. So this idea that you learn one thing, use it throughout your career, and then retire, is no longer true. We're now in this environment where we're needing to continually learn. It all starts with leadership. All of us are leaders. We truly believe that everyone in an organization has an ability, ability to lead. Um, but if you're a manager, if you're a leader, and you don't understand technology or data or organizational change management, how can you recruit the right people? How can you ask the right questions about where the opportunity is to apply technology? If you look at many leaders, most of you look younger than me. I was at McDonald's 30 years. I've probably been at McDonald's longer than some of you have been around. Um, but when I started, when I, I learned to use a PC for the first time at university. I, learned, I had email at work. I had a laptop at work. Most, many folks have learned technology in the workplace in a very rudimentary nature, and yet they've never kept up with this accelerating pace of innovation and change with technology. So many executives, when you talk about technology, think about PowerPoint and Excel, so-called productivity tools. I'm not too sure they are necessarily productivity tools. And as a result, what we see with many leaders is one of two attitudes. Either blockchain is the answer, we just haven't figured out the question yet, technology is magic, or alternatively, there's this discomfort, they don't understand the technology, and perhaps it's better to give it to someone else to do on their behalf. How can you possibly generate competitive advantage if your reaction is to push technology to someone else? So it's unfortunate that it's still quite common to hear leaders talk about technology is alien to me. Are any of you bad leaders? You don't, don't like people? You have no understanding of finance? Great. Yeah, yeah only one person. That's, it's normally one person in the room. Of course, all of you have to deal with people. You probably manage people, you develop them, you have to understand finance. You can't say that's the job of HR or it's the job of finance. That's exactly where we need to be with technology in the future, where everyone in an organization isn't necessarily a technologist, but they're comfortable asking questions about technology. And yet, where we are today is, depending on which report you believe, between six 
to 13% of board of director members have enough technology knowledge to do their job. Not to be a technologist, to do their job. Less than 24% of the C-suite have enough technology to do their job. Um, so not being digitally literate in an organization from the leadership on down affects everything, profitability, retention, motivation, customer satisfaction, and rate of innovation. And it doesn't take much to change that. Just having one, board of, one additional board of directors member who is versant in technology doubles the chance that technology will be treated as a strategic asset, not just a cost to be managed. So at this point, you might be forgiven to ask yourself, how come that Amazon is talking about this topic of learning? And the reason is that as a company, we feel that learning is so foundational to our success that we make it a day-to-day -day consideration. So we structure teams to accelerate their learning. We make sure that we have opportunities for our staff to uh, reskill and to um, upskill. We recruit people who are who know that lifelong learning, career-long learning, is something that's an absolute necessity. One of the great examples of programs that we have internally to help our employees upskill and reskill is the Amazon Career Choice Program, which opens up tuition funding to over 750,000 frontline Amazon staff. And we don't limit this to just our internal staff. We have been doing this for years for our partners, for our customers as well. And one of the great examples there is Amazon Skill Builder. Amazon Skill Builder is a great way to help you build the fundament, fundamental foundational knowledge about cloud and even to um, avoid some of the misunderstandings and the myths that exist sometimes. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. The difference, the, the time difference between when you take a training, when you apply the new knowledge is such that very often by the time that you actually need the knowledge, a lot of it has disappeared from your mind already. And when you actually start to use the knowledge, what you find is often a lot of gaps exist between what you've learned and what you actually need. It's a bit like you know, stepping on a, learning to uh, ride a bike if you've never done it before by reading a book and then three months later stepping for the first time on a mountain bike for a three-week cycling vacation. That doesn't end well. The reality that is often not recognized is that 70% of everything that you learn is learned by doing it on the job, supplemented, of course, by on-demand learning. And so if training is so important for the success of a company like Amazon, and we would argue for the success of all your organizations, then the question we need to ask, and we will, is what does it take to build a truly learning organization that goes beyond simply sending their staff to a classroom training every now and then? And so Peter Senge's popular book, The Fifth Discipline, has a very interesting way of thinking about five particular elements that you can introduce in your organization to create a learning organization over time. 
And the first one of those is systems thinking. Now, systems thinking is the concept that everything that happens in an organization is connected. Everybody is connected to each other. It's extremely rare that value gets created in just one function or in one organization. And so the more that you can ensure that the people in your organization understand how what they do and how they operate, how they act, is connected to what other people need to do, the more you can rely on them to change their way of working for the benefit of everybody. And so modern organizations that are looking at training and learning as a foundation for their success, instead of adding more layers and more rules, what they do is they help their organizations understand how they fit in the bigger picture. And they create most often cross-functional teams to work together across the lines to create real value for customers. And we're going to talk a little bit more later on about these cross-functional teams. And secondly, a shared vision is a simple but very powerful tool to help your organization find meaning and direction in everything they do, including their learning priorities. Now, importantly, this is not about creating some fancy-sounding vision statement, but that's really fluff underneath. The vision statement should really be meaningful and empowering and energizing everybody in the organization towards a common goal. And a great example of this was in 1962, when John F. Kennedy went for the first time to NASA to visit uh, the premises there. And as he was walking through the hallway, he ran into a janitor. And so the president shook his hand, introduced himself, and said, sir, what are you doing here at NASA? And the janitor could have easily said, well, I'm cleaning the floor like my boss told me to do, like I do every day. But he didn't say that. What the janitor said was, Mr. President, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Now, isn't that the kind of incredibly inspiring vision that you want all of your employees to have? This is the kind of inspiration that we want to have in all of our organizations. And managers have an essential role in ensuring that your staff both has that vision and understand it and feels deeply connected to it. The third element is personal mastery. Now, personal mastery is not just about acquiring new skills. It goes way beyond that. It's also about better understanding the environment in which we operate and looking back at how we do things and how we can improve. It's not something that you should do every now and then, but it's something that should really be part of how you operate in your organization. In fact, we think that you and your people should spend at least 30% of their time learning and improving. Now, you're probably going to say, well, 30% of my time, that's a lot. If I do that, that means that the remaining 70% needs to be 50% more productive mathematically to get back to the same level of productivity. We don't have time to do that. 
We need our full capacity. We have too many things to do already, so spending 30% of that on learning is impossible. We don't have time. And this is exactly where the problem lies. Because the idea that we seem to have is that the workplace, you can only either work or play or learn. They're separate activities. You have to choose one over the other. And the problem is that this attitude, this mindset, fails to recognize that in every single thing we do, there's an opportunity to learn to do much better next time. And the power of improving day after day, week after week, month after month, the impact that that has on productivity is so incredible that it will easily more than offset your 30% investment. It's only when we approach how we do work and how we organize with both a desire to perform and a drive to learn that we will achieve our maximum potential. So when we talk of enhancing skills, we mostly talk about you know, functional skills. And these skills, they are changing at a rapid pace. They're not the same anymore as they used to be 10 years, 15 years ago. And with every reinvent, we are adding more needed skills to that. And this change in skills is something that happens regardless of your role. I mean, of course, for our technology employees, you know, we'll need to add new skills around tech, let's say uh, artificial intelligence or data analytics. But it would be a mistake to think that this is only applicable to our technology organization. In fact, more than half of all the open job postings that ask for skills like AI and data analytics are for organizations that are not technology organizations. And this is even true, as Phil said before, for traditionally non-tech roles like, say, a CMO or a financial analyst. The second series of skills that is really key are your business skills. And so your business skills are really about how do you make money in your organization if you're a for-profit organization? How do you deliver your services? How do you create value? How do you get things done? How do you find your way around? And we would argue that it's actually a lot easier to train your existing staff who have these business skills on missing technology skills than to do the opposite and recruit somebody from the outside who has got all the technology skills that you're lacking and try to create them on your culture, your way of working, and your business skills. And this goes beyond simply understanding your internal dynamics. This is also about how do you connect to your customer and how well do you know your customer. The third set of skills are the ones that most of the experts emphasize over business and functional skills. And these are what we call the soft skills, emotional and social skills. Now, you have to think about things like um, managing team dynamics, personal resiliency, um, understanding how your organization feels. Now, these skills have always been incredibly important, but they have really taken on a totally new urgency. Because whereas in the past century, most of what we did was about following and improving processes, 
This century is actually completely the opposite. It's about finding ways to find solutions for complex problems with a lot of creativity. So all of this requires what we call a growth mindset, an innate curiosity and a desire to learn and to question norms and assumptions, to have a real authenticity in asking questions. And so in Amazon, we've embedded this thinking in a principle, in one of our leadership principles, that's called learn and be curious. So we expect from all of our employees on a daily basis to be curious about the world around them, to be willing to learn new skills. It's about embracing those childhood attributes that gave rise to the fast, the period in our life that we learned the most, the fastest. And as a manager, as a leader in an organization, one of the most powerful tools you have to accelerate learning in the organization is to reignite in your employees this desire to learn and to be curious about everything around them. In Amazon, we support this in various ways through, um, uh, through uh, rotating assignments, um, helping people with job mobility, uh, giving people access to self-service, uh, issue-resolving res forums, etc., etc. The other interesting thing, if you think about how you were as a kid, is that we didn't have any of these limiting beliefs, these fixed mental models that we have as adults. Of course, it's very helpful to have these mental models because they help us make sense of an increasingly rapidly changing world based on our past experience and based on our knowledge base. But if these mental models get stale and, they, and people get stuck in their old ways of looking at things, it will prevent us from improving how we, how we work. Because learning isn't, as we said before, just about taking in new knowledge. It's also about better understanding the world around us and to readjust our mental models and the way we think about how we work, how we operate, and to focus on continuous improvement of how we work together and how, do we create, how we create value for our customers. Consider the model, for instance, that we use for experimentation at Amazon. We start with a set of base ideas, um, our existing base of knowledge about the field that we work in, and we make a hypothesis. We define that hypothesis, we're gonna test it out in reality, and we observe what happens. And based on what we see and what we've observed, we then either come up with a new hypothesis or adjust the one that we had. But the real learning happens here when, in addition to this, we question our way of looking at the world, our mental models. This is what we call double-loop learning. And this is something that can be practiced consciously every day. It can be applied to internal team dynamics. So how does the team function? It can be applied to your business processes or to your customer interactions. 
And it's also one of the reasons why it's so incredibly important and powerful to push decision-making as low as possible in the organization, close to where the action is. Because what it does is it ensures that teams, instead of blindly following orders and complaining about how dumb it all is, they take themselves responsibility for observing what is going on, finding what's not working, and making changes until it works, and it works better and better and better. An example of this is what we call our correction of errors process, our COE. And this is largely used in Amazon. Um, it really ensures that when an issue happens, we're not simply satisfied when we solve the issue. We're going to make sure that we keep on asking why the issue occurred until we are comfortable that we've come to the real root cause. And critically, we also look at how we should change our mental model that was maybe at the origin of creating the issue that we've now solved. And instead of just doing that for the team that created the issue and that solved the issue, we're thinking about who else in the organization would benefit from the insights we've just gleaned from our own mistakes. And this is where senior leadership has a very important role to play in role modeling this, in ensuring that we keep on asking why long enough and ensuring that the learnings are reflected back into how we look at the world and how we change our mental models. But also making sure that that knowledge is pushed back into other organizations that could benefit from it. Now, the final element of Sangi's model is team learning. And it's something that is deeply embedded in our culture in this organization. The reality is that whilst work gets done by individuals, results get delivered by teams. And high-performing teams are exceptionally good at introspection and at looking how they function and how they can improve and what can be done better. Now, this works in particularly well when a number of conditions are satisfied. First of all, the more that a team has got responsibility for their own outcomes, the less they're going to simply follow orders. The behavior is going to be very different. When they look at what they can improve and they see that actions they take improve the outcomes, it gives confidence and it builds resilience in those teams. The second thing is that if we give those teams complex, interesting problems that will stimulate collaboration and learning from each other, given that we have people with different backgrounds and different competencies in those teams. Finally, if the team's efforts are directed to a common purpose, it generates an incredible amount of energy and commitment uh, to that work. All of this needs to be underpinned by a strong culture of feedback. And in teams, you can do that with debriefs, or you can ensure that the teams uh, share their mental models and learn from each other's. And of course, you can introduce retrospectives on a very regular basis. Importantly, all of this needs to be embedded in an atmosphere of psychological safety, where the teams feel safe to experiment, to ask questions, to fail, 
and to learn from failure. As a leader, you have an incredibly important role to play to demonstrate this behavior and to show that we learn from our mistakes and that's how we get better. In successful agile learning organizations, there's a very high degree of trust and confidence. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. Be sure to catch part two tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.